Hey, welcome back, all you metal listeners. This is another episode of Into the Combine. I am your host, Stan the Man. Jason. Shoddy. And uh, we got a fun episode for you guys today, but we need to break it down first. Yep, that was Code Orange. The song Real from their latest album called Forever hmm. came out. Uh, shit, it was one of the first albums of uh, January. It was like last Friday. I forget the date, but. I have a feeling you're going to talk about this in a second. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, uh, let's break, break it down, down, Stan. All right, well, I guess we're going to get into a little bit what we're listening to, but uh, we got actually pretty fun episode today. It's uh, We're going to be talking about a metal god, Dan Swano. Dan the Man Swano. Yeah, I mean. One of our hosts had a pretty good pick on our end of the year list, and I think we got all three of us into a certain... Um, oh, fuck off. Yeah. I don't know who the, yeah, who was that? <laughs> Anyways, Dan Swano, we got a actually throwback album review of Edge of Sanity's Crimson, and we got an interview with him, which is pretty badass. So. Oh, I know you guys haven't heard it yet, but dude, the guy's awesome. He talks your ear off. I had to try and, you know... Not focus it, but I, I could I could have listened to him talk forever, but I had to try and bring it back to certain topics. I can't wait. Honestly, but we went half in on. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to our albums of the year episode. Stan, for once, had a good band <laughs> that he found out about. You know, we actually liked it for once. Uh, Witherscape, which is Dan Swano's newest project, phenomenal new, new latest album. And so we did the interview, we talked a little bit about Witherscape for kind of like the first quarter to a half, and then second half was all pretty much Edge of Sanity, and then really went into some Crimson talk. So Mm -hmm. definitely listen to some of that if you wanted to hear more about Crimson, because it's just a fucking interesting album. Yeah. It's a classic. Well, you guys got some stuff you've been listening to? Hell yeah. Shoddy. Actually, you know what? You know what? What? I'll start with Code Orange since we played that breakdown. Okay. I don't know about you guys, um, but I Code Orange has been a band I've been kind of following. They sound they signed on uh, on Deathwish, you know, a while back. They had like an EP out. I remember listening to that when it came out? It was pretty cool. And then the album they put out like in maybe 2014, I think, was really really good. I think it was called "I Am King," 
And I know, I know we played it on like a hardcore spotlight. You know, I know you guys liked it when I played it. I don't know if, have you guys listened to anything from them before now? No, no I personally haven't. Okay, well, I mean, they had that Kurt Blue produced sound, you know, so you know that was going to be good. That really heavy, crunchy, just dirty sound. With raw like, as fuck. Raw sound. as fuck with emphasis on mm-hmm. the heavy, you know. So that had, that last album had that going for it with like little touches of in, in like industrial going on like little touches that was it and then so i was pretty pretty pumped about this new one i was waiting for it i really didn't even expect like what they were going to do on this album because it's quite a big step up from the last one it's i mean they're they're a hardcore band as you could hear from that clip but they're a lot they're really a lot more than that especially on this latest album i mean it's like they go in industrial territories they throw in some 90s grunge but all while like filtering it through this their like code orange sound i mean it's i i seriously we were we were reviewing a pretty good album this this week if it wasn't such a good album i mean i kept wanting to turn this 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 album back on that's how much i liked it i know yeah. you, i know you shot you listen to it right yeah oh yeah um i agree with you i mean well so i listened to it once through and there was just so much other shit that i never got a chance to go back but i wish i could go back and listen to it because it was very catchy when i did get a chance to listen to it i well two things it was catchy and it was hard Mm -hmm. and i don't say catchy in the sense that like there was melody that i could grasp on to but it was just like catchy in the fact that like you're saying you want to go back and listen to it again no i I mean totally agree like it's actually somehow more accessible than their last one because they throw these like 90 radio friendly hooks in there i couldn't agree more with you i couldn't agree more man like that's what i was looking for was those like yeah I couldn't, I didn't know how to exactly describe it, but, but you hit the hammer or the nail on the head. You know, you're right though. Cause it's like, it, it's not any less heavy though. That's the thing. It's heavy as shit, man. Like, it, you know, especially well, yeah, cause I didn't want to do it a disservice to say that it's like melodic or it's like, you know, poppy, but it, it has that feel with still fucking being mm-hmm. really, really, really heavy and really distorted. Yeah, no, exactly, and it has its moments. Like, there's there is actually a song on there with like the the female that's in the band. I can't remember her name, but she does all cleans on it. But it's in this like grungy, dirty kind of way, and like, you know, like you said, it's got catchy moments, but you, you just never know what you're gonna get. You might have a catchy moment, and then it goes back into something that's super heavy and sludgy and grimy, and it keeps a certain mood throughout it. But like, I don't know. You listen to the first three tracks, you think you know what you're gonna get, like just classic heavy code orange. And then it goes, the second half is like so unpredictable. It's like, it's one of those albums, like if you if you get to the second, I mean, I don't think if you listen to it and you like this kind of stuff, you're not going to turn it off because you don't know what's coming next. Every song keeps surprising you. It's just like very experimental. I mean, it's not that they're doing anything like intensely new. They're just taking all these different things, combining it. And it's just like, I don't know. It's what, for me, it's like what I would look for in a hardcore band because you just, it's not the same old, but it's still hardcore. Mm-hmm. Stan, you never got a chance to listen to him? No, I've been fucking up. Okay, this whole Dan Swano thing's been just, like, overtaking my life. Like, <laughs> there's actually a lot of stuff, like, from your guys' list I wanted to go back to. I know this one is a big one that's getting a little hype, and I wanted to listen to it, but I just can't get away from him right now. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. I got nothing for you guys this week. Um, I could talk a lot about Edge of Sanity, though, <laughs> if you want to hear well, it. <laughs> well, I guess this might be a good chance for me to interject then, too, and say that those lists that we put out last week were really good and at the same time really hard because I was talking to Jason about this. It's kind of like, you know, we're still hungover from the end of the year list. Like, there's yeah. so much good metal that came out last year, and then you guys threw so much shit on my plate 
on that last episode that I'm still playing the catch-up game, unfortunately, as well, Stan. Mm-hmm. It's a weird time of year, you know? And stuff's kind of trickling out. I mean, yeah, I know. I've been listening to stuff, too, that, like, came out, too, and that you just kind of want to, like, that you kind of missed and you want to go back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I know. I agree. But, I mean, anyways, yeah, I mean, Stan, yeah, you'll definitely like it. There's no doubt about yeah, oh, it. Yeah. There's no doubt about it, but... Well, I guess that's why I was surprised that he was being quiet over there is because I know that he would like it. And I know in like a couple of days when he gets a chance to listen to it, we're going to get a fucking text and he's going to be like, dude, this code orange is so good. And we're going to be like, motherfucker, what did we tell you? Yeah. That's the thing. I think I'll, I think our, most of our listeners too. like, I mean, if you're like hardcore at all, like, yeah, you know what I mean? And just I, I, I save I'm saving a spot right now and then to my. For like my list at the end of the year. I mean, who knows what's going to come out, but it, it has that kind of potential. It's just, I, I bought the CD. Like I've just been blaring through it. So, mm-hmm. what about you, Shadi? You had a, you've been texting us about some good stuff. Yeah. So, um, I forgot how I uh, came across them, but uh, it's a band, uh, Scar Symmetry. They're on Nuclear Blast. Um, they released an album in 2014. They're going with that whole sci-fi, you know artificial intelligence taking over so the album is called the singularity phase one neo humanity it's supposed to be like a three-parter but part two is on delay because i think the lead singer had a kid or got married or something i don't know what the story is but it's like uh prog rock with like real heavy melodic influences and like you said, Jason, on the track that I sent you, it kind of sounds like a mix between, what did you say, Van Halen and <laughs> I don't know, what I just, was it? I don't know the death metal band to throw in there, but just, dude, just just. But it was, like yeah, Van, Van Halen, Halen with death some metal. death metal, yeah. So, I mean, I the whole album, honestly, it's just the licks are so catchy. It's so fun to listen to. It's it, yeah, um, it's like that's the right word, probably like fun. It's like, it's very yeah, fun. Yeah, it's different. But you know? musically though, the solos are awesome though. Even I mean, the song that I sent you guys, I guess it's a pretty good representation. But I mean, it's I guess if anything, that's the lightest song on that album. Let's play so it. yeah.
Yeah, it was. There was limits to infinity. Oh, dude, that's so catchy. I mean, honestly, man, the whole album is the same way. I mean, it's it's some real good shit. I mean, I don't know where they've been hiding out for all this time, but I really like it. I really wish the next work comes out soon because I'm stoked on it. I'm almost positive it does have a 2017 release. So nice. I think that it was supposed to come out last year, but they took some time off because of, like I said, the lead singer had some family stuff going on. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever comes out down the road here. Sam, it seems like a band you would have listened to before. Uh, I never listened to them, but I like it because it's kind of like the I just picking up on the aggression of the music, like chilling the boat them all the way, yeah, like you the know, power metal aspects. And yes, stuff. exactly. Yeah, oh, power. yeah, it has a lot of that in in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, honestly, you you definitely need to give them a mm-hmm. shot. Don't let the the you know the length of the songs discourage you or oh, you know turn me. you away because it does it, it won't bore you. I guess let me just put it that way. So the eight minute song, there's no fluff there. They're getting in. They're they're doing musically some good shit, and it's just some fun stuff to listen to. Mm-hmm. So much '80s vibes in that song, at least. Like I don't know, dude. I just oh, and I'm they're shredding too. Like they're the, I don't I, the guitarists are so good. I was a little offended though, since you sent this one, and uh, it's kind of like to <laughs> well, stand to listen to. And uh, I don't know what the fuck you think I am. I don't appreciate good music, but it's you right fucker, up my alley. right up my alley, Call- bro. Calling me out in front of all the listeners, you fucker! How dare you? I'm actually surprised. It was it was a joke. It was a joke. Thing, all right. Funny. I was actually surprised it was on Chatty's radar. Like that's out of all of us, I, that would be the least of my pick to pick something like that. But he's a man of many surprises. I think is, we've been learning yes. this lately. Yeah. You never know what yeah. you're gonna get with this guy. Atlanta's changing, me fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It's the heat, dude. All right. Well, Stan, so you don't have anything for us? Uh, no, dude. Jeez. All right. Well, here, I had an idea. Me and Shire were talking about this. There's been a lot of new shit going on, new songs dropping. You guys probably heard about that. It is Murder with CJ back in the yeah. band. Yes, sir. There was some other new shit, but I don't think we're not going to do much of that. But I do want to play one of the bigger ones was Suicide Silence dropped their first single. Have you guys listened to this one? It's called Doris. No. Uh, I'm trying to remember if I did. I know I heard something about it. All right, well, so I don't know if I did listen to it or not, but just continue. Well, let's play it. This is going to be in okay. place of Stan's pick because it's interesting. And I want to I just want to do like a rea- you know like a reaction video, like a reaction clip. Yeah. Stay in your face is pretty funny on that. What were you thinking there? Oh, I just took a picture so you can upload it on Twitter. But uh, 
Um, <laughs> wait, you said Suicide Silence? Yeah, man. Yeah, that was that, that's their new single. I don't know if you guys know, they recorded with Ross Robinson. Okay. The, the, the new metal, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, produced. Yeah. yeah, okay, right, right. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's corn chorus, yeah. you know? That's that's Jonathan Davis to a T, right? I mean... I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Suicide Silence? I know. Eddie? Yeah. Yeah. They Which, put out some brutal shit a couple years ago. I know. that. That's what I mean. Like, the last album to me, it was I really liked it, dude. Like, yeah. some people hate on Suicide Silence and all that kind of bullshit, but whatever, dude. I, I really like that album, and I'm kind of bummed. Like, I mean, whatever. You know, I'll check it out still, but shit, man. Right, so I guess I was never really, you know, their biggest fan i guess i don't know why nothing against them i just never really got into them but that does i mean the beginning of that song sounded okay and then that came in and it's i don't know man. Like, i'm like cringing right now yeah well yeah because i'm trying to figure out is that his actual voice or was he using some sort of modulator no dude he's just Ooh, trying gives to give a fuck because it sounds like well no well because that's my i guess the next point if he's making himself try to sound shitty if he's doing it by using some sort of, you know, modulator, then that, I guess, is okay. But if he's literally, if that's just him singing, he sounds like fucking shit, and you probably shouldn't have put that on the album. But that's just me, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, but my, I don't, my thoughts are, are, is this some kind of big joke? Like, No, you, dude. No? It's not. That's yeah, no, it's not, man. That's, I guess that's what the question was. Everybody was like, why? Yeah, basically just why? Well, you know, the thing is, like, they've been flirting with corn and new metal influences for a while. Like, no doubt about it. The, the whatever the. Um, but can we? Can the we last go, one. Like, hold on. The last one with Mitch was that was on it. Like they they had I think they had Jonathan Davis Davies Davies whatever his name is from Corn. I believe they had him on that album. And you know I get it. Like they like the new metal stuff and whatever. But it just it literally just it's out of place to me. It's like you got Suicide Silence and all of a sudden you've got Corn in the chorus and it's just. It just doesn't work for me. I mean, whatever. You know what I mean? Do what you want to do. I, I don't... I'm, it makes me not look forward to it. I'll check the new album out, but it makes me kind of question I didn't it. Even like the, I didn't even like the hard parts. Like, yeah, it wasn't no, very good. There's no death metal vocals or no Production growls. was shitty, too. Yeah. I, production was nothing like the last album. So, anyway, well, I don't want to spend too much time well, on what, it, but... But what I was going to say, though, real quick, is it's not... I mean, all the other shit aside, it's... You know, the introduction of the, the clean singing that really, you know, is the dagger to all of us, I feel like. Yeah. It could have went softer and the production could have been shitty, but if he would have been screaming the whole time, it wouldn't it wouldn't be, you know, the, the backlash wouldn't have been as bad as it is, right. I guess, right now. That's yeah. just my two cents. Isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Alshair Paris doing something this year? They're supposedly soon. Yeah, soon. Well, good. Thank God. So we can hear him <laughs> at his best. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, whatever. All right. Um, so I've got another one. I did send... I know I, I mentioned this. I don't know if you guys got a chance to listen to it. But the band is called The Drip. And we got sent We got sent this from... Uh, shit, I think Relapse. Sorry if I'm wrong. But I think this is a Relapse Records release. Um, I guess you would call it a grindcore type of an album. But it's... You know, it's um, they definitely have a lot of death metal aspects and and just they kind of go quite a bit across the board, but I guess grindcore is the best comparison. But I don't know what I liked about it was uh, like on the song I'm gonna play, they've got these cool melodic elements in there that hooks you in. Um, it's very heavy, just crushing in your face. I, there's a certain element of it though that sounds like I don't want to say fresh, but you can latch onto. 
Like, um, you know, some grindcore, it just doesn't do it for me if it's just by numbers grindcore. But I feel like, I guess what I should say is they just, they inject enough newer things and their own uh, their own spin on it that makes it really cool. I guess I'll just play a, a clip of the song. It's called Painted Ram. And um, for me, this was the highlight of the album. Thing. I was digging that. Yeah, I was too, a lot. Especially at the end there. That that cool ass melodic part. It comes in yeah. for a minute and then it comes in again and like ends with that. It just adds a lot to it. It's it's pretty cool. They're not afraid to go there, like stretch out with like those melodic parts or like mm-hmm. epic parts or you know what I mean. That's what you got to do. That shit grindcore. You know what I mean. You got to have those parts that you get the chaos and then it gets into something that you can really latch on to. I love that. It, yeah, yeah, I feel it has to resolve itself or else it's just it's too much just madness all the time. It's it just gets monotonous, I guess, if it doesn't fix after a little yeah. bit. Well, that's what that's what I like about grindcore. You yeah. when, when you hear a blast yep. beat in chaos and then all of a sudden it goes to something catchy, it's a hundred times more catchy than if it was just played like from the beginning. You know what I mean? Yep. So, yeah. you know, and I, I they do that a lot throughout this album. So, if you're a fan of anything like that, give her a go. What else you got, Shaw? You got another one, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, th- um, I know that they it's not out yet, but a couple songs um, have come out, I guess, as singles. Reclaim the Sun and The Apprentice of Death off of Moore's Principum. I don't know. Ist. E-S-T. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm butchering that, but Embers of the Dying World is the name of the album. I don't know how much longer we're going to have to wait until it comes out, but... Uh, from hearing Reclaim the Sun, you know, it, it, there's going to be some good shit. 
You guys have brought them up before. How would you describe them? Melodic death metal, but it does have like... Yeah. Um, I th- believe Italian, I believe they are. I, th- I think you're right, because it has like... I want... It's, it's kind of... I wouldn't say synth heavy, but there is very prominent synth. You know, that kind of melodic death metal. But it does... I know at least a couple of their albums have that operatic female... Yeah. Vocals. I liked, you know, because they're not a band that I used to listen to a whole lot. But you guys have brought the name up a couple times, so I've kind of tried to listen to. And they, you know, whenever I see them talked about, it's always positive. Mm-hmm. You know what I, I mean? mean? So Honestly, man, they're just a very solid musicians. So, like, they're all over the place, like, stylistically. But they still have, like Stan was saying, it's not, like, electronic feeling, but they're... And I don't even want to say it's synth heavy, but they just use kind of like it's not overproduced, but they have like that big sound behind them. Like, you know, they use the effects like their keyboard player is talented and does all that background shit to, you know, accentuate what they're doing. But they shred the guitarists are fucking top notch. I like that's what I was going to say about it, like because I did go back and listen a little bit and it's very shreddy. Like there's thrashy elements, like it's more on the upbeat tempo yeah, t- yep. side of melodic death metal than the like more mellow death of like the dramatic shit. I'm sorry, yeah. they're actually Finnish. I was gonna—that's what I thought. Yeah, I thought I, I read thought that Italian, today. but uh, yeah, I think I, I thought I read that today. When, so I mean, you can't go wrong with any kind of Finnish melodic death metal, that's for sure. No, yeah, yeah, no, sweet. You so, so, so you want to play "Reclaim the Sun"? Yeah, that sounds good. No, the keyboards, it just fits so well. Mm-hmm. It's like, I guess I wouldn't say it's keyboard like heavy, but like it, the ambience and like the... Yeah, it blends in really you well. You know, it's not like Chill on the Bottom where you just got a keyboard. This is pretty much another lead guitarist. Like this is just, it fits so well with the music. I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah, I That's totally why I was it. saying the thing about the whole production thing, because it sounds like, it, you know, it should just, it's there, but it's not like standing out. So yeah. finished too. 
Oh yeah. Like now that I listen back, it's like okay, I, I'm starting to pick up on that more now, and you can definitely hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, looking forward to that release then. That's that's good stuff, man. Because I know yeah. I, the last album was sweet, so I'm sure this will be good based off that single. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, so February 10th is the drop date of, you know, Embers of a Dying World. I'm really looking forward to it, so. Awesome, man. Well, I've got um, one more. I guess if Stan doesn't have anything, uh, I'll pick up Stan Slack. And <laughs> this one actually was one that came out in 2016. And and so I saved them and listened and then whatever. And then went back and uh, it hit me the right mood. Like I had been going so deep on black metal and all that for a while. And I'm I'm weird. You know, I go in phases. I don't, you guys know me, like it'll be one genre one month and the next month it's a totally different genre. So I think it's what I needed. It's it's very classic, not classic rock, but just it's heavy metal, but it, it doesn't sound like a cover band, you know, playing just old shit. You know, they, they do something different and it's very hard to explain. I guess if I'm going off um, on the fly, I would say like Black Sabbath mixed into some kind of dreamy world like where the vocals are kind of lower in the mix and you know i don't know if you guys know like mastodon cur- um curse the sky or i'm sorry crack yeah. the sky yeah yeah you know when brent hines does his like ozzy osbourne vocals it kind of reminds me of that where it sounds like ozzy but it's not ozzy it almost sounds more like mastodon trying to be ozzy uh-huh. and you only you only know what i mean if you listen to that album but, I mean, um, I've listened to it. I honestly have just never gotten the Ozzy okay. feel. But I need to go back now with that in my head. Yeah. And I bet you it'll come through more. If you, Yeah, the first couple songs, like Oblivion and Divinations and stuff on that Crack the Sky album, like Brent Hines, like when he does his his, clean, his cleaner singing. <laughs> yeah. It, now it, now I'm, that I'm thinking about it in my head, I know exactly what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's awesome. It's like very Ozzy sounding without ripping him off too much. And yeah, this dude yeah. kind of sounds like that. But the riffs are just super catchy and like just heavy fucking metal but for some reason dude it it just doesn't sound like they're repeating old shit like they're very fresh to me i've heard them around around the internet and stuff but they're you know they haven't gotten too big yet but so i just feel like i want to play a little clip of this one and, and then that'll be the last one for me
Interesting. Sean, you were you were seemed like you were enjoying it. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, so I really really liked the fucking guitar. That was really really catchy. Yeah. I don't I mean, I don't know how much I like the lyrics or I'm sorry, like the vocals. Nothing against the lyrical content. I I don't <laughs> know. It wasn't I didn't hate it, but at the same time, I don't know. It's different. I got a Judas I just, Judas Priest feel from yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Does he, all the way. Yeah. Does he not? Is there no screaming or anything like that? No, I mean is not that really. as close that's, as it gets to it. Yeah, that's what. That's kind of the vibe of it. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's more heavy metal than you know metal. What we're kind of getting towards normally, but I think that's why I liked it though. It was just like a good breakup, like from what I was listening to. So much such extreme stuff. That's just like catchy yet original. Like there's there's enough going on that to me it seems kind of more original than. You know, like you get a lot of bands just ripping off older stuff. I think they're doing something a little different. Mm-hmm. Did I say the name of this band? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I did. They're called Summerlands. Um, oh yeah, you did. You did. Oh, say okay, the name okay. Of them. Yeah, because that was that's what I was wondering. I was going to ask you if you could repeat who their name was. Yeah, and we should start doing that. We should repeat it a couple times because that's probably hard for the listeners to like grab onto. But um, yeah, Summerlands. The album's called Summerlands. It's with one M. And it's the song that I played. It's called The Guardian. So if you're into that, check so it out. Who who is the band, though, again? Summerlands. Oh, I thought you said the album is called also, Summerlands. Yeah, it is. It is. Anyways, I think we waited long enough. Let's get into it. Crimson. We just want to jump into that. Stan, give, well, us, I, I, give us a little I guess rundown. I didn't know. Give us your introduction, Stan. Oh, rundown of Dan Swano. Stan the man, run us down on Dan the man, yeah. Swano. <laughs> He's the man. I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel bad taking that name all these <laughs> all this time. It's Dan the man, Swano. I don't know. He kind of like a little bit of everything in Edge of Sanity. Yeah. 
kind of the brainchild of it. Yeah. I didn't really know. So I thought I always thought he was more of a guitar player, but it seems like he's more of a drummer. Yeah, he always has first and foremost drums. Yeah. Okay. Look um, at that. He's done numerous projects. He's one of the biggest producers in metal. Produced a lot of bands. Yeah, you know, when I was doing some research before the interview, he his biggest things in the beginning was like he 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 did um, production on Opeth's Orchid. Yep. He did mm-hmm. fucking Dissection, Storm of the Lights, Bane. Yep. The, the Somber Lane, um, he did Marduk, one of their early releases. Yep. So, like, he started off strong as shit, you know what I mean? And then he moved into more of, like, the engineering role, engineering and mastering, and stepped away from the actual, like, producer's chair and, and just made albums sound awesome, you know, instead of being, like, in the room with the band kind mm. of stuff. But literally, I mean, if you listen to a Dan Swano album, like, you know you're going to get quality. This guy is oh, just... Yeah. But, I mean, the thing that I've learned the most about this guy is just how much of, like, a prodigy he is. Like, he's a self-taught musician. He can play so many mus- so many instruments. I mean, between guitar and bass and drums and the synthesizer and other random shit. And then his vocal capabilities are fucking amazing. Like, mm-hmm. the guy can clean sing up with the best of them. And his death growls are, like, literally with the best of them. He's just got so many elements to him. It's just... Like, that's what I mean. If you don't know him, Google him and just start listening to each of his projects. I mean, there's not many out there that I can think of that are that talented to play the amount of, you know, instruments and to write the material that he writes. I mean, a majority of the shit that he puts out there, I mean, I hate to call him solo projects, but I feel like Dude, he he's like a band just... teacher handing fucking sheet music out to randos just saying, play this, play this, it's done. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those visionary kind of guys, you know, like you've got yeah, your Michael uh-huh. from Opeth. They're those guys that, you know, if you're in a band with him, you kind of know he's going to be the leader. You know, you might get, you're going to get some ideas in there, but, you know, he's going to do probably the bulk of it. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the kind of guy. And that's what makes for some really good music. And I mean, just to name a few things he's done, like, dude, and I forgot about this when we were first talking about him, but... um Bloodbath? Yeah, dude, that's, I couldn't think of it. I was like, blood. I, I was like, blood, what is it? Bloodbath. Like, he was with Bloodbath for a couple of their best albums, mm-hmm. I think. Some, he's written some of their best songs, in my opinion. I mean, like we said, um, you know, with Edge of Sanity, classic band. He's done side stuff with, the, with Nightingale, which is like power metal kind of stuff. He's done what we talked about before with Witherscape, which is some hybrid between... Edge of Sanity. And it's just awesome. I, I don't know everything. It's a weird yeah, mix. Touching on that real quick, that is a fucking album that I wish I would have gotten a chance to listen to before the end of the year <laughs> list. I don't know if I said that all, you know, already or not, but I mean, it, it speaks to Swano's talent. I mean, the way that he can... It's just so damn good. That That's one of the albums that I haven't been able to turn off lately. It's been yeah. that one. Like you guys have said, he is a fucking genius, a metal god. Yeah, he the, really is. The the album is uh, the Northern Sanctuary. If you guys haven't listened to it, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been in so much shit. Like I, I was listening. To, I was trying to go deep on him. Like, um, there's a band called Pandemonium that he was in with. I think Pandemonium. I'm sorry, yep. Pandemonium, with one of his brothers, maybe mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's very like, yep. it's very. Um, What's the word I'm trying to think of though? When it's like uh, avant garde, it's very. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the definition of avant garde, like death metal. It's like long songs crazy shit but anyway so yeah that's kind of like a history of dance one i mean he's even producing stuff up to recently with like um in uh insomnium's last album mm-hmm. wasn't it was a dan swano production and uh we actually got into that in the interview at the end because i don't know if you guys know but there's some very close parallels between crimson 
and Winter's Gate from Insomnia. Mm-hmm. Look at the track length. It's all one song. It's produced by Dan Swano, and it's a concept album. And he and we, we talked about that for like a second during the interview. So anyways, I mean, I guess Edge of Sanity is probably what he's most known for with, with maybe some Bloodbath also. So, well, I want to ask you guys, um, before we get into Crimson, what's your guys' thoughts on like pre-Crimson stuff? Is there any albums you really got into? Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, well, the thing that's funny about these guys, about Edge of Sandy in general, is like, if you look at their first album, or I guess their second album, like even Unorthodox, they were doing such progressive stuff back when people were not doing that. But yeah. also very melodic stuff, too. Exactly. Which, that's where I'm going with this. They might be one of the first melodic death metal bands. That's where I'm going with this. You're a mind reader, Stan. Yes. Because, you know, we, back when we went, we did our melodic death metal uh, episode with the big three and all that, you know, we didn't even bring up Edge of Sandy. We talked about Carcass and stuff. And, um, you know, I think Edge of Sandy's more on the progressive side of things. Oh, for but sure. It, but if you listen back, I mean, there's stuff that's similar to like At The Gates, um, Red in the Skies Hours kind of stuff and little melodic moments. I mean, they were mixing stuff with like gothic elements. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, I mean, they took the Swedish foundation you know, with stuff like your general Swedish death metal, you know, you're entombed and all that kind of stuff. And you can hear that, but then you, 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 even from that first or the second album, you hear those elements. That's like, holy shit. You know, like you said, there's melodic elements and progressive. So like, I think if you're talking Swedish melodic death metal, if you're talking Gothenburg and all that, I feel like you should throw out just sanity in, even though they're not from the area. I feel like they're kind of overlooked, I guess is what my, the point I'm trying to make is what you sound like you're trying to say. I believe I th- correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I've read that they're somewhere in the middle between Stockholm and Gothenburg. Yeah, no, I think and you're right. I believe that's where they are with their music, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got Good straight point. death metal and you got straight melodic death metal, and they kind of bring it all together, but then they're also doing their own thing. Yeah, they take that progressive part. Yeah. Like you don't really hear, except for like an Opeth, really. I, I guess I don't know a whole lot mm-hmm. of other ones. I mean, there was bands doing it. You could think of bands like. Like death, death started bringing in those progressive elements. I can't yeah. name years exactly when they were doing all that, but you know, maybe like uh, atheist or you know, you had those bands doing it. But I think they were right there too. And from the interview, and I don't want to spoil anything, but you know, it kind of sounded like they did their own thing. Like they, it wasn't that they were influ- they weren't paying attention to Gothenburg. I know they said they they did check out the Swedish, um, uh, the Stockholm scene a little mm. bit. And all that kind of stuff, but they really just kind of did their own thing. So I mean, it, I, I don't know. I just want to make sure that that's like we're giving props to them for, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, for the historical part of it. You know, they were really there in the beginning with I, groundbreaking stuff. Yeah, we all overlooked it, and I think a lot of people did, and they're just a little underrated, and they should be higher on the list. I guess let's just get right into Crimson at this point. Well, let's start it out. Just are like we going to give her? Yeah, are we going to give her the rating? I mean, if we, it's a 10. It's a 10 for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. All right. I was just, I a, guess I, we didn't, when we do these throwbacks, we shouldn't do that. <laughs> Shoddy rate it real quick. Just so you get it on the same page. Oh, it's a 10. Okay. I, I agreed with you guys. Yeah. yeah. But, it has to be. I mean, it's a masterpiece. So there's no other word for it. Like, this is a metal masterpiece. It's one song, 40 minutes or whatever. I mean, the way it starts out, uh, like, it doesn't. Yeah, that's no fucking around. It's literally just. It, you got the okay. This uh, I did a little research into it. You got guitars tuned. I don't even know how many steps down. It's 
far down, like okay. three steps. Like we're we're talking about like crazy drop tuning. And it just starts out with the I don't know, that riff. Another star. starts that riff that you just never stop hearing though too Mm -hmm. i don't know it's well that's the thing about it like you said you never stop hearing it and i think that's the biggest thing that is so cool about this album is like you know you hear i mean albums come out all the time where it's like it's one song or whatever You'll, you'll have that here and there but this is legitimately one song in the way that classical music like is presented you know what i'm saying where it's like it's movements in my eyes like you'll hear a riff and then you'll hear it again somewhere, but it's a variation on it. And you'll hear another like movement, but you'll come back to themes. And it really does feel like it's actually one song, you know? And like, again, I'm not going to spoil the interview because he goes into it more, but they wrote this in a way that actually like in, in the right order, they didn't like piece it together afterwards. They wrote mm-hmm. it and recorded it and, it and the lyrics and everything. And they just did it in order. You know what I'm saying? So that's why it flows so good. It's an album that to me, like it doesn't get boring. It's one song, but like, it doesn't feel like that. Like I can no. listen to this thing on repeat. And I like the fact that it just stops. Yeah. The dude. whole song stops. Just like kind of, it hits you the way that the first riff hit you. Like, I don't know. It's just like, you got to look at the broader scope of things when you actually listen to this song. Like, it's just, it's amazing what these guys did. Before we go even more, like, let's play something from it in case you guys out there have not heard this. Because, I mean, it's an overlooked album, so I wouldn't blame you if you don't, if you haven't heard this album. But I want to play in in track two, you kind of get the foundation of the whole thing. You get those, like, really weird upbeat riffs into these, like, kind of... Uh, more like emotive riffs and I don't know, you get a little bit of everything in there. So I want to play, it's not track two, it's like part two, you know, because it's all one song. Well, see, um, that's the issue, Jay, is I had the just 40 minute one track. <laughs> so I couldn't, yeah, I oh, never, okay. I couldn't go to, you get what I'm saying? So I would have just had to write time markers down because I couldn't skip to two or three. So yours wasn't broken up at all. Mine wasn't either. No. It's no. just one one really? shot. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think the dig- the newer digital copies broken yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's why. Because I'm using it with actually with Apple Music. Okay. And I, I, you know what? You're right. I think I read that there was some difference in like the digital version. But yeah, it, it, it's at like it's in during during part two, which I guess for you guys it won't make a difference. But it's just one of those themes that you'll definitely hear it again, and it's just to show like this is definitely a dance one part. It's got mm-hmm. the progressive upbeat riffs, and it's just less of the straightforward death metal stuff but I just want to play it because I think it gives you an idea of whether you're going to like this album or not
How beautiful does that get? Oh, it is. That's the thing. It's this whole album is so everything from evil to beautiful, all in one. Yep. You know, they touch on everything. I guess that's the theme too with Dan Swano. Like you'll feel emotion in like anything he does. You know what I'm saying? You can feel like what he's trying to. Mm -hmm. There's just feeling in everything he puts into it. It's so much more than just like the. I don't know. No, and and everything he's done. And that's what it's like. it's like after all, it's oh, fuck, man. I should just find it real quick and tell you where it is, because you can really, really he- like feel the emotion and his clean vocals that are coming across, and it just works so well with the music. Because there's all this shit going on, and then it starts to resolve itself, and then he comes in with his clean vocal, and then it's just like, it's just perfect. It's literally like the best transition from screaming to clean singing, and it just works so well. You know, and like in. Like in the clip we just played too, like you can hear like different variations right there, like what we're talking about. Like you get that like gothic singing in the clean part there. It's like some weird kind of gothic-y, you like know. growl or something. No, no, no. Like, during, like during the cleans, like when it's like, when it first starts off and it's like the upbeat riff and you've got him doing those like weird gothic kind of cleans, like the deeper stuff. And then it goes into like the different, the riff changes and then you get into the growls and everything. It kind of gives you an idea of like what you're going to get in this album but yet there's still parts like where it'll jump into like doomy parts where it slows mm-hmm. down it gets doomy and then you'll get these weird chuggy death metal riffs that come in there where you know the rest of the band probably wrote that part you know and that's like that like push and pull that I think makes the album so good where like I'm sure at the time Dan Swano was like fuck that I don't want that part in there and the other guys were like I don't want your bullshit in there but I think honestly it's like you could only make this good of an album with both of those the elements conflicting yeah like yeah yep exactly like I, to me that's what i like about it the biggest reason i like this album is it's so simple yeah you're right this is like okay like it's weird like i've been trying to find like a you know i've always like my dream of mine was like like cover a progressive album like yeah. I, you know, like I was thinking colors. No, it's not going to happen. That's too technical. Then I was like, went to Opeth, and that shit's still even <laughs> fucked up. And like, I found this one. I was like, I can play all this shit. Like, you know, I wanted to just like good point. You know, it's just it's a simple album. If you actually dissect the music, the drums are not hard. The guitars are really easy. It just they bring it together. Like I don't know. It's just You're right. It's so I feel like the hardest part of all this would be the singing. Oh, for sure. Would be the vocals. That's the hardest part of all of Edge of Sanity. That's another good or, point. Or I guess Crimson. That's another very good point. Yeah. So I guess off that a little bit. But hold on though. We we shouldn't take anything away from the musicians though because no, it no. fucking is great ass shit. It's just they're not doing anything technically that's that fucked up. They're just making good music together. 
Well, I think exactly that's that's the whole point. It's like you don't have to yeah. be technical. Like play mm-hmm. with feeling, write well written music, and that's literally all you need. And mm-hmm. I think that's these guys can play technical. There's no doubt about that. You know what I mean? Listen to their stuff. But the fact that it doesn't need to be, and it's so catchy and so, I mean, it's a deep album. Like the way that the, the riffs that they take you on and different musical ideas and stuff, and then variations on certain themes. But what I was gonna say is the concept. Have you guys looked uh, yeah. into that? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that we definitely need to talk about that because that's a big part of the album. Yeah. I don't know. With death metal and things like that, we don't always read the lyrics and try and get into it. But certain albums, I think you owe it to yourself. And I think I think this is one where you should because the music actually kind of represents like ideas and moments in the story. It's amazing. Like today, I actually went through, like I knew what the story was, but it was the first time I read the lyrics along while listening to the album. I've never really done that before, except when I was younger. And it's amazing. Like there's parts where, okay, wait, I guess like let's run down the story first, right? Do you guys know like what kind of goes on in the story or should I kind of yep. just go over it? Yeah, no, you can, you can go ahead and take the, the stage, but yeah, no, I have, I've read it. It's, you can go ahead and talk about. Okay, the king well, and the queen I, and all that. I wrote it down because it's just it's it's very it's kind of deep, you know. It's kind of involved, and the lyrics are kind of ambiguous at certain times. But what I found online um, was that there's like this this world. I, don't, I guess it's like Earth, and humans can't produce children. So I guess there's a king and a queen, and they actually have a child, and so it's like this sign that. Okay, this there's a possibility of childbirth, and this queen or this 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 person that was born is like the answer. And so the queen dies during childbirth. The king is left to rule the earth and raise a daughter. And so the people all think that this this child is like a sign that God's going to give them the ability to reproduce. But then, as this child, this girl grows into a teenager, um, humanity remains infertile, and then the king dies. And the people of the earth, the men, fight over the throne. And then the new king crushes rebellions against his illegitimate rule. Um, he's hated by the people. Eventually, they persuade the child to lead a like charge against them. And she is left alone to plan. I guess evil forces get to her. She accepts some weird unholy master, gains powers. I mean, it gets kind of deep. Um, she kills this king and then okay so then the big thing is like she's ruling the earth and then the people of the earth kind of like wanted her there but then they realize that she's actually evil so then the people of the earth plan to like take her over and put her into a the crimson um, tank or whatever there's some kind of crimson liquid and that's what the whole title is named after and if you look at the actual cover of the album you can see this like female figure in a crimson tank and that's supposed to be her. They actually end up getting her back into the queen, into the tank. They get rid of her power. But then I'm reading like a summary, which I don't think is fully to the point because I was reading the lyrics today and you can kind of pull out a lot of details. But I think even at the end, there's a part where like there's she was, I think she was raped or something and she has a son. And then so I think that's probably where Crimson Part 2 picks up. Um, but I'm not totally sure. But I mean, you know, that gives you like an idea of what's going on in the story. It's kind of deep. You should read along to it. But what I was going to say before was parts where 
you know, they're attacking the king to get rid of him or, or whatever. You'll hear in, in the music, like, it'll either get really intense or, like, when the king is really pissed off or people are pissed off about what's going on. Like, it'll, it'll be when there's, like, a very, a more of a death metal part. Or at the end when things are like, you know, the people find out that she's not good and they're going to, they've got a plan to overthrow her. You know, you'll get like that triumphant kind of like uh, in flames kind of a kind of a lead going. And there's a part where like the king is like talking from I don't know, like a ghost or something. And it's like this weird, it's like this weird echoey um, vibe on the vocals. You know, mm-hmm. do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. My I point, think that's the part that I'm talking about that I like a lot. Yeah, is that echoey be. part that you're talking about. There. Could be. But, you know, I mean, I guess my point is just it goes along with the lyrics so well that it, it, it's worth knowing what the story is. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just so well thought out. It's amazing. Like, Well, well, that's why I said that, that it reminded me of Coheed because it's for the first time since them, there's been this clear picture with the lyrics that have been painted, you know, because they had their comics that came out and then you'd read the comics and then it would go so well with what they were singing about the whole time. This is like the second time that the picture, for me, I guess, has been so clear with, you know, that, you know, like when the king dies, like you're exactly right. You hear the emotion yeah. in the songs of the people being like, oh, my God, our king, you know, yep. is gone. What are we supposed to do now? Like, how are we going to get on now? Who is going to lead us through this treacherous time? You feel the pain in the people not being able to reproduce. It's just this. It's almost like a movie score, not a metal album. Exactly. No, totally, totally. hundred percent. You know, some people could care less about concepts, but like to me, I feel like if a concept works and you do a concept album well, like I just think it elevates it to a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. It sets it apart. You know, it's that next step up between making individual songs and fucking making everything flow together. I mean, it just it's that next level of songwriting. And I'm not saying that every album has to be a concept. You know what I'm saying? But it just, yeah. 100%. This one's it was done perfectly on every single level. I guess the last thing we should bring up too is like how how many parts like Michael from Opeth has in this. Did you guys pick up on like the screams and the clean vocals? He's oh, got yeah, a lead sure. guitar part in it. Yeah. I, I didn't pick up on the guitar exactly what was his part, but I mean you can definitely hear I him knew, with yeah. the clean vocals I, and his vocals. I was just going to say I knew that he had you know he had a guitar part, but yeah, I didn't know where it was in there, but yeah, you can definitely hear the vocals. And I actually honestly naively didn't and stupidly didn't know that that was him. And I'm sitting there listening to this and I'm like, where the fuck <laughs> have I heard like this because it sounded different and I'm like, who is this? And then I wanted to know more about the story. And then, yeah, I see fucking Axe. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually in it a lot. Like any part yeah, where you man. hear, you'll hear like a, it's like a very, it's more of like a rapid or a faster vocal delivery. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of like when there's like some kind of an anger thing going on and, and you'll hear him come in there and he lets out like literally one of his longest screams ever, like towards the end of the, of the album. Really good. He does a clean part and then he also does like a melodic or like a, like a solo in it. So it's cool. Like if you're if you're an Opeth fan, like that's what I'm saying. Like you owe it to yourself to to check this album out because mm-hmm. he's he plays kind of a big part in it. And ah shit, I won't even say anymore about that. Like wait till the interview, I guess, because there's yeah, definitely okay. Opeth influence on this album. I guess I should say, but mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, I mean shit, man. We could go on forever, <laughs> <Shit>. but <laughs> I'd say we probably covered. I say for now, I mean, just you got you got an interview with the guy, so might as well let him do the rest of the talking. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm pretty sure everybody else is, so let's fucking get to it. <laughs> well, it's been a, another episode of Into the Combine. Um, catch us on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. 
Yeah, I guess we should say thank you to Sweden. Thank <laughs> yes. you to uh, Dan again. Yes. I was going to say, too, I don't know if we talked about it before, but you guys should go check out Stan. He's been on uh, a buddy of ours podcast called Waxing Midwest. Oh, yes. A lot different, a lot different. Um, <laughs> More comedy. Yes. Um, good friend Is that of what it is? I was trying to figure out what, you know, I guess category we would yeah. throw that into. I would say comedy. I don't know. A lot different, but I'm still the same person over there too, so. Pop culture, comedy. It's funny. Stan, Stan the Man's been on there about three times now. Yep. I think me and him might do one soon. And uh, so check that out. Waxing Midwestern, good buddy of ours. I also want to give a shout out to... Um, from I always want to say into the pit because into the combine, but from the pit podcast, I've been talking to those guys or at least one of the guys from that podcast a little bit. Check out their podcast; they've got a lot of good underground uh, bands they've been talking about, and uh, they're just they're cool dudes too. And then headbanging honkies are, are definitely good friends that have our been, doppelgangers, yeah, doppelgangers, <laughs> yeah, that have been doing stuff for a while. Different kind of a vibe, and that ours just fun and fucking good stuff too. So if you're looking for other podcasts, but I just wanted to give that last shout out before we sign off yep well this has been another episode of in the combine i am stan the man jason and i'm shoddy you guys fucking stay metal out there You know, um, basically the reason we, we wanted to get in touch with you was, one, that new Witherscape album really blew us away. Um, cool. And we just wanted to talk a little bit. We, we decided to talk about some Edge of Sanity stuff and um, in, our, in our episode that we're going to record and kind of look at some of the work you've done. So we could, I figured we could start with Witherscape, though, since that came out this year. I've seen it. It's been all over, end, end of the year list. Seems like it did pretty well. Are you, are you pretty happy with how everything went with it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't be happier. And <clears throat> I guess I've, I've come to accept the fact that when you are not kind of a touring band that, that actually see the release of an album, like, I mean, normally when you re- when you release a product in the shops, other than music, like a pair of shoes or whatever, that's when the whole journey begins, you know, with the advertising and, 
you know, making it sell. But for me, the release of an album is kind of the end mm. at, at my point, you know, because I am a I'm a studio engineer that have a hobby that is doing music, you know, right. so <clears throat> I cannot really do it the way the other guys do. And it, it's only stupid to believe that you could actually compete with the big bands that actually make a living from their music. You know, you release an album into this vast void of releases and it's all about who is touring it the most, who is who's pushing their product the best. They will sell, you know? So sometimes you see all these year lists and you think, oh, fuck, we're not on, on any of those. And then you realize that maybe 80% of the people never even heard of the project, mm -hmm. even less the album itself, you know? So no wonder why we are not on the year list. It's, it's more of a connoisseur kind of thing to to follow my career, then maybe they find out about with Escape. But, but honestly, it is so. Even though we're on a pretty big label with, with <clears throat> Central Media being backed up by Sony and all that, they are not really pushing extra much money into a project that doesn't really exist on a stage, you know? So yeah. taking that into consideration, I'm super happy. Couldn't be happier. I would definitely notice the same thing. You know, it just it wasn't talked about as much, but it did seem to gain some momentum as we went. And I know, you know, after we played it on our show, it was the same kind of thing. A lot of the listeners hadn't hadn't heard it yet, and then they were kind of blown away. Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, the difference between having that, these are the kind of things, I have no problem with Witherscape being one of those kind of secrets. I know it's not what a record label love to hear, you know? But the fact is that that I have no problem as long as someone find it and they love it, that's really enough. I don't really need this super 100,000 sales, you know, because it comes with a lot of, of other activities, you know, and I am not prepared to give up any part of my studio or family life to, to go back into the record business. I, I kind of spent a little bit too much time there in the 90s, you know. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, what I what I really liked about it was it kind of has this balance of extreme catchiness with all the death metal elements. Um, but those catchy elements, it's like they don't feel watered down. It's not like a pop chorus that just comes up every time the same. You really mix things up a lot. You know, you never know what to expect. Clean vocals and all of a sudden these gruff vocals come in, your death metal vocals come in. It's like it didn't feel like you just copy and pasted and, and made it, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It really came out perfect like that. And I think um, once you would analyze the album a little bit further, there, there is actually an element that <clears throat> I'm not sure if it's uh, if we're alone in this, but I, I guess it's not that very common. And it is that most bands seem to have this, oh, this is the A part. Let's have clean vocals and then come the B part. Let's have growling. Then came the A part, let's have the clean again, you know. Mm -hmm. But what I thought would be interesting was to write a universal riff or kind of a chord progression and that you could growl and sing clean on the same piece of music mm -hmm. without it becoming overcrowded by melodies or becoming boring without that vocal harmony on it, you know. So the riff itself always needs to be able to be written in such a way that it could either be strong enough in its melodic content to have only growling on top of it or easily add another vocal harmony that's got nothing to do with the riff itself in, in terms of tonality and those are really not that easy to write you know mm. so that's the thing about Witherscape compared to all other metal that i have done that on both the first and the second album there's Sometimes you start off with growling on a riff and then come the clean singing on that very same riff. Right. And 
I don't know if there's too many other bands out there doing this. They seem to tailor make every piece for, oh, that's a growling part, and this riff have a clean, you know? I like the idea that sometimes on the first record, there is a clean singing on the first chorus, and then there's growls on the second. And nobody really seemed to point that out, so I guess it just kind of flows, you know? That makes a lot of sense. I think that's exactly part of what I'm hearing. It's, it's one of those things where you go back to it every time, and you kind of hear something different or it just when you have the stuff like you said where it's just predictable and repeated you know what's coming whereas with this you're kind of always surprised and it pulls you in a little bit more at least for me it did yeah and, and that's the thing about it is it's, it's always so nice to to hear or read that people really like the album because i kind of made sure that i would love it and I honestly didn't care too much even what my co-partner Ragnar would think about the stuff. It's just <laughs> like, this is my baby, you know? Yeah. And if something doesn't excite me the fifth time I hear it, it's out. You know, I threw out probably more ideas than we put in the record already at the writing stage because I just get this vibe that <clears throat> I don't know how many more of those I have in me. You know, I kind of made a comeback into this world of... of releasing albums in 2012, also with the Century Media deal. And I felt that I will not release anything under that label that I'm not 100% satisfied with kind of at the time that I am supposed to like release it, you know? Yeah. In the old times with the Edge of Sanity stuff, I was, I was kind of never happy with anything ever. I just had two weeks, here we had to make an album, let's release it and forget it ever happened and just move on, you know? That mm. was the kind of state of mind i was in for a, a big chunk of the 90s but i felt always like i could have done stuff better but there was never any time but now i had time i had a decent budget and i felt fuck it let's make the best possible metal album that i can do and this this for me it, it meant um it's, it's a lot of attention to detail and you really have to make sure that that you're not lying to yourself when you're listening and think ah it's it's probably good enough you know yeah. but you you really need to sit there playing air drums, air guitars, your foot stomping, your goosebumps <laughs> all over, when you're all alone, just listening to your own album. And if you don't have that vibe from your own stuff, then you cannot really expect anyone else to have it, you know? Sure. So for me, it was like, I felt all those things, and I think I know there's a few percentage of the fan base from the old days that kind of had that same vibe like I did. They picked up on the right pieces of music from my back catalog. They will love this. And it's the best kind of version of that music that I could prob possibly do, you know? So, yeah, that's that's why I am still extremely satisfied with it. And it seems so that, that people who really took the album, you know, and, and listened to it, they, they really like it too. Well, I want to, going off that, I want to kind of, one of my co-hosts, um, there's one song that he wanted me to ask you about. I'm just going to give you the direct quote for this one. He wanted me to ask, who the fuck do you think you are on the song Marionette? That's the most beautiful shit I've ever heard. Uh, so that's his favorite <laughs> song on the album. What was going on in that song? It's very different for you, but it's very, very good. Embrace the soul The trees instead of flame And as you steal the soul Before the Cause this night when it's fair on the 
yeah, it, it's it's kind of a it's, it's a song that I it was actually the very very first piece of music that I wrote for uh, this record. It, it, it's the kind of the, the the verse and and the bridge it was just written on an acoustic guitar uh, in the living room, and and at that point I had a studio at another location, so. Rather than just go on, on on mixing whatever I was doing, I just felt I think I need to record this soft piece and I need to send it to Ragnar and say, you know, I'm on it. You know, I've, I've started writing it. What do you think? And we both felt it was a nice and cozy little ballad thing, you know. And then then all of a sudden I started messing around with completely different tuning on the acoustic, tuning it way down. And I think I ended up with, with like three sets of, of, uh, of fifths. You know, it's completely strange tuning, you know, you cannot play any chord, you know, you just have to put your fingers like, oh, this could be cool, you know. And all of a sudden I had written this kind of, that felt like some kind of shoegaze uh, metal doom thing, you know, all, all, also only on an acoustic guitar. It had that big ringing reverberant kind of vibe. Mm. And, I, and I thought, oh, that, that, that's a nice chorus, you know. And then all of a sudden I had the same vibe like when I wrote When All Is Said, in the early 90s like maybe you should growl on this to not make it one of those epic prog metal moments more like a weird moment like could work could be a complete disaster right but after that long intro and all that nice like you're kind of in a dream world underwater kind of vibe you know all of a sudden you have this extreme beast kind of just biting you in the face with this all vocal part and then the whole the big thing just kind of the, the chorus just explodes and it's like i would say six notes deeper in the tuning than the rest of the album you know mm. we are normally we, we are tuning to normal there are some songs with with a d drop but this one is down to to a or a flat it's exceptionally low we had to use a separate kind of guitar and a separate kind of bass to even record it and that's why the impact is also so big after after hearing so many songs in a kind of a normal tuning, all of a sudden this this deepness shows up, you know, and it's also, you know, when you're always down there, you know, with your seven string guitars or whatever, nothing can really give you more of a, of, of a vibe than, than be, you know, you kind of lock yourself in a corner, you know, mm -hmm. but for this one, it was just like, you release all that low energy and that also had to do a little bit with, with the emotion you feel because it's so extra epic, you know? And it was just like piecing together that nice and friendly intro verse, like bridge, with this new chorus I had written. And then I just felt, fuck, this works, you know? This experiment worked. And I felt already at the demo stage that it's going to be special. And also Paul, who wrote the lyrics, is like, wow, this is just so... And he got goosebumps even from the crappy production demo. And I think, oh, we're <laughs> onto something, you know? Yeah. I think it's cool that it's something that you kind of come into and you kind of discover it midway through. You don't really expect it. Yeah. And it just kind of, it works well where it is. So, yeah. 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 I'm extremely happy with the way it turned out. It's it's one of those lucky accidents. Right. So, well, okay, going back to the 90s a little bit with some of the Edge of Sanity material. You know, it's Edge of Sanity is a band that I came into a little bit later on for some reason. Um, it always seems like there's certain bands you hear about first from Sweden and, and that kind of scene. What makes Edge of Sandy different and stand out from maybe like the Gothenburg scene or some of the other things that were going on at that time? I would say that that the first reason was that we were kind of alienated a little bit from any other scene within Sweden because we were living in a little city called Finspong. We have like 20,000 people living there. 
And there was this small group of people, I don't know, we were maybe 15 to 20 people maximum, including also the guys who didn't play an instrument and only liked the music. And we all started out with, with um, they liked punk and hardcore and, and thrash metal. And eventually we all kind of ventured into the whole death metal thing when that kind of exploded. For me, it was in the summer of 89 when there was this uh, shift from thrash metal to, to death metal when I was 15. Sure. So then we kind of formed that sanity at, at the end of 89. And we were kind of a thrash metal band with growling vocals because I had just become hooked on, on the way Chuck Schildener and John Tardy and these guys. And I didn't really care that the music sounded more like some, I don't know, Metallica on a bad day or whatever, you know? <laughs> I just wanted to yeah. growl. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually we kind of kind of picked up on, on some other strange stuff like the first Pestilence record and all its, and Voivod and Candlemas and Obituary and all this. And then later on came this whole um, thing with Entombed and so, because honestly, we were never really picking up too much of that Stockholm scene because we were, we were not really in Stockholm. We were not even sure that there was something going on there, you know, then it all mm. exploded with the Entombed demo. And we were like, oh, fuck, this is a new sound. And then the Entombed album came out. And then we, we kind of, oh, shit, you know. So by the time we had done uh, the demos and got signed, um, I remember I, I was mixing the first Edge of Sanity record in Stockholm. I went to um, visit Sunlight Studios when Entombed was recording the Crawl EP, you know, kind of hung out a bit. And I played them the Edge of Sanity record. And they were just like, ah, what is this? You know, this is really different, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's... It's all written before we, we heard you guys, you know. <laughs> and by the time we were making Unorthodox, then we had uh, um, a full set of, of the death metal influence pieces, you know, from any style. Uh, and honestly, around that time, the Gothenburg scene was not really happening at all in, in like 91, 92. I, I didn't right. pick up anything from down there, but, but Stockholm definitely was, was all over the place. And <clears throat> then later on, we kind of kind of ended as a band after the release of Unorthodox. And we all had a trillion of fucking projects in this little town. We played anything from grunge to punk to hardcore, prog rock, whatever, you know, hard rock and beyond. And we were just like forming a death metal project and kind of accidentally got signed by a label. But we all felt that we had released the, the first record was kind of a disappointment in so many ways. And the second one was like all we wanted it to be. And then still nothing really happened. We expected that a record label would automatically make you super famous. Mm. And, and the tours would be raining on you and you would sell like 25,000 copies in a week. And, and, and we were so disappointed and disillusioned a bit. So I was kind of like, mm, okay, what do we do? Okay, we have a fucking record deal and we don't want to go to court. We don't want to break up the band and have a, any trouble with the law you know so we just kind of went on going back more to a project kind of thing where i did my stuff the other guys did their stuff and we kind of came together a few weeks in the summer and um i, I think for the spectral sorrows the bass player didn't even bother to show up because they'd rather hang out at the beach okay he was doing military service and i don't want to record a record on on my uh on my leave, you know, so uh, who cares, you know, yeah. that was the kind of level with the band at the time. It's like, ah, let's throw a Manowar song there. Let's have a gothic rock track. Let's have a punk song. 
let's have an epic death metal song let's have a doom song you know it's just like whatever you know let's just get 40 minutes together send it to the fucking label and then we can breathe again for another year until we have to do this again but to, to our surprise we got more and more famous the less we cared and That's it's still interesting yeah because so, I, I mean by the time you guys put out crimson <clears> I, I imagine this would have been at its height you know with a band and kind of how you guys were feeling but yet for at least for a lot of fans it's one of the most commonly mentioned albums so how do you think that it turned out so well in people's minds and why everybody likes it so much when the band was more um i guess less together than when they first when you guys first started yeah yeah crimson was was a complete mess in in terms of 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 a there was kind of a non-existent band vibe i had even moved away to another city which was like an hour car ride away and i didn't have a car so it was like could also be on the moon it would be the same you know no good bus connection no train connection nothing so i i thought to myself how the fuck we follow up purgatory afterglow which had been done with me living in the same city at least you know yeah and now i was living away and i thought fuck it there is no time i have the studio running i'm booked beyond belief and, and the other guys are having all their other bands and projects and it was still this we have to deliver a fucking record you know so what we do and i just felt i am so sick and tired of this let's find a good chorus let's find a good hook let's repeat that 10 times you know and i had just come off doing the orchid record from opeth and I must admit that I was I was more than inspired. I was in full kind of clone mode. And I think, fuck, they just did the coolest shit. They <laughs> they just stuff that is like 15 minutes without any sense of structure, but it's all just super awesome. You know, they had this one riff with like four notes going on for six minutes. So, you know, yeah. it's like, how they do that? How, you know? And I was just thinking that maybe I should kind of go back to my own, my own roots, you know, and in, in the 80s, when, when I was still a kid, I listened a lot to this kind of Jean-Michel Jarre. I listened to a lot of stuff that was like a concept record. And, and it was usually stuff that was just like one long song. And my, my brother had all these records in his collection. And they were all, and he told me, yeah, this is just like one song. And it's divided into pieces. It's a concept and this and that. And I thought, fuck, let's make the first death metal 40-minute song. And the other guys thought I was completely insane. Oh, what, like tubular bells, but metal, <laughs> uh, you know? I said, yeah, why not? We don't have to worry about writing any fucking intros, outros, choruses, or whatever, hooks, or the doom song, or the pop song. We just write. And and the, I don't know. I mean, they, they showed up having written a couple of normal four-minute songs. So apparently they thought I was kind of joking. Right. I said, why you wrote these songs? I mean, we are here now to write one song that is 40 minutes and oh okay you know <clears throat> so we all sat down and i played guitar also on this one so we had three guitar players mine was tuned in a weird tuning and the other guys were tuned down to a really deep and we just started writing i said i have this idea and i said oh, let's start with a vocal and then just kind of bang into this kind of groovy riff that go on and on and then okay then what next? I don't know. Turned off the distortion. I connected some pedals and I started messing around with some. Okay, that could be cool. And then, you know, we just wrote the song like you hear it. All organic, no click tracks, no fakes, all to tape, you know. And and it's like we just wrote it based on the emotions we had had up until that point. It's like, oh, fuck, we are tired now from this fast part. We need something slow here, you mm -hmm. know. Because some of those 
long albums guys put out today. They don't really listen or feel the flow from the beginning like the listener will do. They will just kind of push it every bombast and the next bombast and they don't really care how the flow is from the first to the 15th minute, you know? Can you take any more at this point or not, you know? Yeah. So the reason why Crimson One have become this kind of super cool album to, to really, really dig into, you know? It, it's because it's got that old school flow, also like Opeth wrote stuff for Orchid and Morning Rise and so it was all in the rehearsal room, all just like you, you felt it, you know, and that was, that was all. You didn't record it and then validate the recording at home and shop pieces around in your computer or whatever. You just kind of, when it felt right, played from the first to the last second, then, then it was good. So it makes that's a lot of sense. Still yeah, it resonates still because after all, we are still humans. Doesn't matter how many iPods and iPads or whatever we have, it's still that vibe that you want and most music these days are, are not written in that way i'm no. afraid yeah no i i totally agree and it's cool because it is an album that forces you to listen to it from front to back which you don't get anymore one thing i thought or that was interesting that you said was how you took some inspiration from from opeth's orchid because you know i would assume that you guys were also probably a source of inspiration for opeth when they were starting out if not at least paved the way for something that they were to do since you guys had the progressive elements in, in your in your albums as well. I don't think uh, Mike had even heard of Edge of Sanity, to be honest. He was really, um, I mean, I mean the Catatonia guys, they, they were they were uh, openly fanboys. I even got fan mail from mm -hmm. them, you know. And I made sure that that Anders and Jonas could come to my studio in '92, and I recorded them there the first Catatonia demo and all that stuff. But Mike was living in his own little world, and you know, in Sweden we were like. You, you were only exposed to the big bands that made it to your local shopping mall record section under metal. And if the band had good distribution, like Creator or, or stuff like that, then, then you, you get to know them, you know? And so, so I know Mike was um, not particularly underground and demo guy. So I think he, he found out about Edge of Sanity um, later. And I, I would I could, cannot hear any... I mean, Edge of Sanity wasn't really progressive in that sense until crimson hmm. we had some progressive song structure in enigma and doing a piano ballad doom song with, with when all he said was kind of progressive but still not really i mean paradise lost had been there in that kind of territory also with gothic and so so no i, I think i had had uh, zero influence on opeth but opeth had 99.8 influence on crimson okay sure yeah <laughs> one band that, uh, <laughs> well, one one band that um, we also talked about this year that does seem to have a, another influence. I'm guessing since they worked with you, they did a one a one song album, uh, Insomnium. You know, yeah. it was around the similar length. Had to be some some influence of, of Crimson on that one. Yeah, it is. It, it's. Uh, I was actually uh, meeting uh, the Insomnium guys just a few days ago when they they played here in in Germany where I live, and. Um, yeah, I spoke to the, the main guy behind and he he, said, he he took a photo with him and me and said, yeah, I need a photo with my teenage uh, idol guy. <laughs> it's like his 20th anniversary of Crimson is kind of the Insomnium record in some ways. And even though the, the band was selling it as a, originally like a 20-minute thing to the label to kind of feel it, but he, he said, this guy, that 
yeah, I always knew I always wanted it to be 40 minutes. You know? <laughs> and of course, when when you would, would put a music professor and he would have a, a Winter's Gate and Crimson and he could sit there and point out the similarities like you do in, in a court case when, when someone is, you know, accused of stealing another song, he would find quite a, a lot of things. Ah, oh, that acoustic section there is kind of based on the same, uh, like Crimson. Yeah. This flow comes after just about the same time and that the band all of a sudden also play a lot faster and have more extreme twists or almost black metal territories and then go to really soft and, and nice progressive rock. I mean, you can you can take out um, the turns can be so much bigger in a piece like that. And, and I always imagine that, oh, wouldn't it be cool to go from the slowest we have ever played to the fastest we have ever played in a second. You could never do that in a three-minute song. Guys would think the CD was skipping, you know? Right. But in that kind of song, we actually did it on Crimson. It's the deepest, slowest, sludgiest part, and then you just kind of, Mike uh, come singing with his super black metal voice, and you're just kind of blasting away like idiots. And I just felt that's the drama I was searching for, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think Insomnia felt the same way. They were they had done a bunch of records with the same kind of structure, all chasing that hit song or that super vibe. But I think they nailed it. And th these guys actually played it live from the first to the last second, and it was really good. Wow. Um, yeah, they 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 sure do know their shit. And I'm I'm super honored, you know, to to uh, first of all as Crimson was my baby. I'm honored that someone is honoring Crimson. Right. And then to ask to actually work on it because these guys have the budget to work with pretty much anyone in, in the metal community. Um, but they knew that I had done that kind of shit before. And I wouldn't mess with it. You know, I wouldn't yeah. tell them to shorten it down or whatever. I would just say, go for it, you know, and make it as progressive as, as can be. Well, it turned out it turned out great as all your production work and engineering has, has so Thank far. You. Um to end things off, you know, since you've done so much work behind the boards and behind the scenes on albums you've worked on, like you said, Opeth, Dissection, not to mention all these newer bands and newer albums, what do you think is your biggest identifying role or the thing you like to accomplish most when working on these albums? Is there anything that stands out as a Dan Swano theme? Uh, I would say that, that one of the things that I, I find pretty interesting about, about my production is that they, they tend to not sound the same. They are very, very much the reflection of what the artist is looking for. And I know that a lot of my colleagues in this metal mixing community, they kind of got their break by having a sound mm. that everybody wanted at the time. And there, there could be compilation CDs coming with, with a magazine, and I could just say, I don't know who it is, but that's mixed by that guy. I can hear it because it's the same kick and snare like he used on that band and that band and that band, you know? But I work completely in reverse. I am not mixing a second until I hear a record from the band that what they consider to be the ultimate production for them. And I always ask for a reference CD and, and they are like, wow, but we don't want to sound like, no, but I need to know what is fat and powerful and wide and what's your dream sound. I mean, any anybody going into a record production must have some kind of vibe of what the outcome will be just like you you go to a party you have this yeah this party should be all this you know then i will be so happy it's just like the same i want it to sound as fat as that record as punchy you know and i say i need to hear that because sometimes i have a vibe of what is good for the band and they say oh cool 
it sounds really good, but we, it's not our sound. Yeah. And I said, oh, fuck, I spent a week tweaking something and now you want something completely different. Something I believe sounds dead, boring, sterile crap, you know? So let me hear what you have in mind. And when someone would play that song in like a DJ set coming after that track, it should have just the same vibe, the same flavor. And I get so many different references, you know, from really albums with hardly any treble on them to really screechy, super thin albums. I've been asked to clone the sound of the first Burzum record, <laughs> you know, and, and all this kind of like, wow, that's a real challenge. And I like that. And in, in the end, nobody ever comment that this album sounds exactly like that record by that band. But I have actually used that as an AB reference extremely closely, you know, trying to, to, to make it almost sound like that song is off that record. But in the end, the band have another singer. They tune maybe the guitar is different. It's a different song, of course, but it, it's a guarantee for a really great product with the same kind of bottom end, same high end, like the band believed to be a fat production, you know? Right. Right. And that's that's one of the things. So when you play an Asfix record and then you will play the Insomnium record, then you will play the With Escape record, they all sound completely different within the kind of parameters of a good sounding record. That's very, very but, but interesting. I, I take great pride in that and bringing the band's desire to the front and not say, no, I think you should sound like the other records I mix so I can <laughs> use my presets, you know? Yeah, right. That's very interesting. Very Like, like I said, all your production... You, you're right. It doesn't have that um, single thing that goes through it all, except every basically every time we hear something that's got your name on it, you know, you know it's going to be good. So, uh, really, yeah, really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to really thank you, Mr. Swano. Uh, I think we're about out of time for this, but a very interesting conversation. Yeah, thank you, thank you for your time too.